Saturday. What day is it today? Wednesday. Exactly. Welcome to Film Fight Club. I've got Falcon Slime from Falcon Screen, and we are joined by Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. Hey, 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 hello. And freelance writer and critic for Atneru. Hello, people of the world. Now we have two films we're covering this week, both in cinemas now. The first we'll be covering is A Quiet Place 2, the sequel to A Quiet Place. You look up our previous review on Spotify and uh, and iTunes. It's getting the Godfather treatment. It's getting a part two. With scenes set before and after, because it's part two. It increasingly does sound like a quiet place, yeah. Um, that's, uh, actually, what I should really be saying is Chris alluded to it's getting the Mamma Mia approach. Right. <laughs> we're also be covering Cruella, which is getting a origin story. For some reason. <laughs> Nobody asked for it, but we're getting it. Disney are might really mining its intellectual property. Uh, just to note, in terms of film news this week, the German Film Festival is in full swing at Pal Cinemas. There aren't really any other things happening this week because the Sydney Film Festival was supposed to start, so everything was scheduled after it. However, the Sydney Film Festival has postponed till August, so there'll be a lot of stuff happening come August, September. Yeah, I think Mubi is actually dropping a few of the Berlinale releases very soon. Oh, nice. Including Petite's Kama, uh, Petite Oh, wow, Mama. Petite Mama, wow. That's On right. Mubi in Australia. Uh, yeah, in the UK and Australia. So that's going to happen. Damn. Uh, so That'll probably be at the film festivals as well as being on Mubi. So you'll have the uh, HBO Max approach of choose where you want to see it. Yeah. I, I just thought when I saw it that that should have taken the Silver Bear instead of the new Hong Sang-soo. But there we go. Mm. You don't get that. But we recommend you still see it at festivals if you can because it's fun. And uh, cinemas need support. Yes. Yeah, a lot of support. Yep. So that's why we're doing a lot of today, just watching movies. Uh, I've watched both these today, so they're both very fresh in my mind. The first one we're talking about is A Quiet Place 2. It is written and directed by Josh Krasinski. John! Jo- what is it? Jo- Josh? Sorry. Josh. John. Excuse me. <laughs> Every, everyone's wow. a Josh. He, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, 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 he looks, looks like a Josh. He looks yeah. like a Josh. Like jo- he does a bit. He does look like more of a... Uh, as Chris was alluded to, in a very nebbisher Josh type figure. Yep. Or, or Jim. Yeah, but yeah. Jim. Yeah, yeah. Just something's wrong with Jay. Krasinski. We're just going to call Krasinski from now. Let's get confused. Um, it is also starring Emily Blunt, Krasinski, Killian Murphy, Millicent Simmons, and Jamon Honsu. It takes place directly leading on from the events of the first film. We are doing spoilers for A Quiet Place, so, yep, forewarned. At the end of A Quiet Place, uh, Krasinski's character, the father of the family, passes away due to the aliens that have invaded Earth and are very sensitive to sound and therefore attack anything they can hear. So Emily Blunt and her children, uh, played by Noah Jupe and Millicent Simmons and a newborn baby, are for a look to seek out new life and a new place to live uh, and, and maybe avoid. find a new dad along the way. Yeah, they really regretted killing off Krasinski at the end of the last film. It's very clear. Like, why did we do this? It was a great emotional moment, but they probably didn't think they were going to get a sequel. Mm, uh, I mean, that movie ends on a kind of, uh, it, it could end here or it could be sequel bait for the next one. And, you know, it's 2021, so they've taken the latter approach. But, but in a way, I think it's the best of both worlds. Krasinski is clearly a better director than actor. Yeah, we want to um, talk about that. He's so, so you know, and Killian Murphy is a better actor than a director. So, I mean, so far, I, I think. I haven't, I'm, I'm not was he directed? Anything. I don't know what he's I don't directed. think he's directed anything. So well, clearly, there you go. Okay. <laughs> so, the, the people being in front of the nothing. camera. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. He's a good actor. We, we love what Killian do we think, Murphy. What do we think of A Quiet Place Part 2? 
I think importantly, this got the aliens approach. The first one I would classify as a horror thriller. This mm. is an action thriller. It's a different genre. It isn't so much focused on the jump scares than the do the monts and how they get out of them. That's okay. It's a different genre. It's a different approach. I'm fine with it. And I think it actually worked because in the first one, it took a long time to see the creatures. Now we know what they look like. The so you can't quite create that fear of what is that thing coming for me. So, right. so it's so, probably from that that they've started this approach. Yeah. Focus on the action elements. Fine. It starts off great. Um, it's Thoughts for the flashback to the invasion, this if you can call it that. And I really like those sequences and just that growing, building dread. That opening sequence reminded me a lot of moments in Spielberg's War of the Worlds. And a lot of the directorial approach of this actually reminds me of Spielberg with the kind of elegant floating camera work drawing attention subtly to um, aspects that are going to become important later on and, uh, you know, long long takes that sort of reframe characters as the camera tracks through it. I'd say um, this is better than War of the Worlds, actually. The film as a, as a whole is probably better and more satisfying, but there are aspects of what the Spielberg War of the Worlds that I thought were absolutely terrific, and this borrows from them nicely. The, just the, the sheer terror and awe and watching every everyday life just fall apart in almost real time, very reminiscent of War of the Worlds. But this film features an original alien invasion image that was very mysterious and haunting. And still I'm, is great to speculate about. Yeah, still mysterious. Um, yeah, leaves the mind wondering. Unfortunately, you know, this is going to be explained in mind in some sequels, but but hopefully they can do what they did with this prequel, which is come up with something better, uh, this prequel scene, come up with something better than what you imagined. You know, an- like... An- uh, another good, I think, comparison point would be James Gray and uh, Lost World of Z. Lost City of Z, yeah. Sorry, yeah, Lost City of Z. Yeah. Um, because I think in terms of that kind of world building, this film did very well in giving us a new twist as to what the new world's going to look like. And especially when the creatures are out in the open, you kind of have played your cards, right? And yeah, then yeah. they still are able to do something new and fresh with it once you've already laid your cards out. I think it's a uh, testament to direction in this sense. Well, the, the, as I was saying earlier, the, the direction's quite Spielbergian. Um, I was really impressed uh, by this as a directorial showpiece, uh, showpiece, I came away from the original A Quiet Place saying, okay, this script was really dumb, but it was saved <laughs> because it was so incredibly well-directed. This time around, um, despite some early reports to the contrary uh, that I'd seen floating around from critics, I didn't find the script so dumb. There's only one major thing in there that I found to be um, kind of confusingly dumb. But for the most part, this is a much, it's a different kind of approach to the first film and that it's much more of an immersive survivalist kind of story. You can feel the Cormac McCarthy influence. It's very The Road-esque at, at points. And it's very much about these long takes following people around, watching, you know, um, traversing this environment um, and running into action scenes, which are incredibly choreographed, um, both in terms of the action and the camera work. So yeah. I find it a lot of fun. Um, a few points to that. I did love the slow growth, uh, very similar to All the Worlds, yes, in a good way, um, escalation of, oh my God, our world is falling apart. And in, ama- in an amazing way, Krasinski actually revisits that at a very unexpected stage later in the film. That's a very powerful effect. Mm. Um, I found, in terms of the plotting, it, I think things Chris is referring to didn't generally bother me for the reason that we're not dealing with commandos here. We're dealing with a family and a bunch of kids um, that with very low tech around them. I appreciate some of the decisions they make are stupid, but they are either made uh, within panic or the heat of the moment or for inexperience. So for the most part, actually almost entirely, I was okay with how it, the film developed in that respects. I, I pretty much was too. It didn't draw me out of the film at it like the original film where I was just drawn out of it by 
bafflement over what I was watching. But just on the direction, I think what's really important about this is the direction goes hand in hand with this particular sound design. As discussed with the last film, uh, the yeah. daughter played by Millicent Simmons is deaf and she interacts with all differently. And um, we both we see a lot of film from her perspective, but I love the moments when they use the sound design to switch perspectives without changing the camera position or I just even even changing shot within an action scene. And suddenly you're seeing it from her view. And it's a little bit scary, whereas for or it can or it can be a little more confronting. Whereas suddenly you fix, switch to Killian Murphy or the Emily Blunt character, and it takes on a different type of terrifying visage because they're they also have a different perspective on this scene and looking out for those around them. So there was a, a very there was a Oh, I think a multi-layered dynamic to these action scenes that you don't often see. In a period where um, Hollywood action films have been less visually competent than ever, I would, was really impressed by this. I felt like at times there was even a kind of poetry to the the staging and, and the camera moves, really like honing in on the emotion of a scene and accentuating it. I'm, I'm really impressed by John Krasinski as a director, honestly. That's my big takeaway out of this series. Um, he should definitely stay behind the camera because, as Varad said before, I think he's much more talented as a director than he is as an actor. I, I think for whatever twist of fate, yeah, the fact that uh, they've finally found the right balance of people behind the camera and in front of the camera. Mm. So Emily Blunt Clearly is he's fantastic. a great actor's director too because he's yeah. found great performances and cast great actors. Yeah, so Gillian Murphy and Emily Blunt, fantastic in front of the camera. Krasinski behind the camera. So, like, you know, you're reaping the rewards of right people in the right, right, oh, I right places. Look, I think Killian Murphy was good. I don't think he really had much of a character to work with. He was just a person who was justly frustrated that his world had fallen apart. Yeah. And the other characters think had more development, as did some we meet later in the piece. There is a, just to speaking on the world building, there is a band of people we meet at one stage at, in a nighttime scene. And some of that stuff could have been more fleshed out. Yeah. I, I, I want to know where did these folks, we spend a very little time with these folks. Where did they come from? Um, obviously, mm. it's quite a confronting sequence when we meet them. I wanted to know more. And I think that, I think that more than anything else is an invitation, as Chris said, for, yeah, we're going to see sequels to this. On the or other hand, I, d- I did appreciate how lean this film is and efficient because, again, that's kind of a lost art. Um, this, this is almost like a John Carpenter movie and it's like we stick with the characters, let the action play out slowly while at the same time getting straight to the heart of it. Um, it, it, this are, was, are, we, are we allowed to say the John Carpenter and the cursed words of John Carpenter because, you know, it's like... Which ones? No, just, just generally mentioning John Carpenter because, you it's, know, box office poison. This oh, one right, right, probably right. would we, do we, much we better. Say, uh, John Carpenter's a compliment, I think. I mean, Michael yeah. Mann's a box office poison too and I, I talk about him all the time, so... Yeah. It's all yeah. good. Last <laughs> bout didn't do so well either. Um, um, but there's a lot of... Yeah, this film gets in, gets out, tells the story. It's satisfying that both with this one and the, and this, and the first one... The main character, particularly Millicent Simmons' character, had arcs. They were completed, and that's when the film ended. It didn't feel the need to go mm. on and take more of your money and more of your time and show you more action sequences. It got in and got out and told a satisfying action set piece. Although, I do feel like, um, as you spoke about before, this is the setup to get more and more sequels, and it's kind of just a shame in thinking about the fact that as far as action, horror, you know, popcorn blockbusters, this is basically a prestige one these days in terms of the, the talent-attached... Um, how much it respects the audience's intelligence in terms of its pacing and setup um, and the, the craft behind the camera. This is definitely in prestige territory, while also appealing to the, the masses territory, right? But that even that kind of film isn't immune from the serialization of everything, the merging of TV and cinema. Like the, the way that this ends is 100% set up for a sequel. 
Like it, it achieves a level of emotion. It, it kind of feels like it's an um, and the ending is a prologue to for the next the, one. The next one, like, like in the, in the next episode, you'll see. Kind yeah, of yeah, yeah, exactly. And and working on the classic soap opera approach of a semi cliffhanger ending. It's giving. It's still giving you a sense of emotional satisfaction in the in the way that the editing is used and the the way that the storylines in in that more a semi abstract kind of way um, come together. But it still leaves the threads of this story wide loose like it's it's like end of part one of a two-parter episode and i'm okay with that because i think this is a serialized approach rather than adult storytelling it feels like chapters it feels like we're going through chapters of book that are slowly being released in the strand every month and that's okay mm. i was satisfied with the story i'd be okay with seeing more i do get worried that we'll get to the point where the characters all have plot armor but we're not there yet so i'm still enjoying it what's interesting is that um krasinski stepping away the next one's going to be written and directed by Jeff Nichols, who his he makes one hundred percent sense for a quiet place to me in terms of his approach, his action thriller with family dynamics kind of approach he's taken before. But at the same time, it speaks to how again this is a TV like model. The showrunner stepping away before the story's finished. It's going to. It feels like it. It gets a little bit less personal. I mean, we'll get to that when we get to part three. But speaking more to these kinds of concessions. Uh, just the some of the imagery around the ending of this seemed a bit, a little bit silly to me, like directly at the ending. I, I don't know, just kind of the intrusion of we're setting up the characters to be larger, epic people for for the net for the sequels. It's tomorrow when the war began, type. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, but then it doesn't not make sense. It does make sense, but um, I, I feel like that these little nitpicks I'm putting up are the things that stop it from being really great. You know, um, I also was a little bit worn down by its efficiency as a jump scare machine. Like I, I keep saying the direction was very good and it was, but I started to always be able to tell when the, the big jumps were going to come in, even yeah, from the first one in the opening prologue sequence. That's the one thing, which is why, like, I probably couldn't get into it. I, you know, I think listeners already know my propensity to not be able to watch anything which has jump scares. Yeah. So uh, I think this film wears you down a little bit telegraphed them quite a lot and the problem was it wasn't that I didn't enjoy it regardless it was just that for me any jump scare kind of takes me out of the film more than and it takes me a while to get back into it so it was more of a jumpy ride for a better better word in my case it's just that there's so many of them and and the the monsters are like perfect jump scare machines because even when a, a scare is telegraphed they're so loud and so fast that it's like we can telegraph a jump scare and make you jump anyway but I think Significantly, there was nothing about the setting of this film compared to the last film, which engendered opportunities for different types of jump scares. There was no point in this, aside from the beginning, where I felt really shocked. And mm. that's okay, because as I said... I, I jumped, didn't, I but didn't, I knew always knew it was coming. I didn't feel too shocked in Aliens, except for the scene where the alien came out of the water behind the little girl. And that's all right, because it's just a different genre, which which I enjoyed. Mm. I feel like the over, as a whole, the movie is maybe just a little bit, if this makes sense too overdetermined like you feel that as it as it it's just towards the climax it's just maybe like a little bit too well choreographed and well and you know quotation marks well written i mean it's it's basically the this you know the last act of the film becomes a well-oiled machinery where it's yeah. less about the story and more about all right let's wrap this up let's get the let's get the, get the ball rolling for the first act for the next one and give them a tease you know? yeah 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 while showing off so um, the, the, the corporate, corporate machinery kind of kicks in that's that it act, the corporate yeah. machinery aspect of this is just that as it's going to be when we discuss Cruella the thing that stops it from being as great as it could be but I still really recommend this as far as these popcorn blockbusters 
go, this is about as good as they get these days. Yeah, go see it. So that is a quiet place too. It is in cinemas now. You're listening to Film Fight Club on 2SL with Glenn Falkenstein, Chris Emmons and Virat Nehru. Next film, as foreshadowed, that we are talking about is Disney's Cruella. Um, following on from 101 Dalmatians, the live action remake of 101 Dalmatians, and let's not forget 102 Dalmatians, that was a thing. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, remember? You dog, you opening song. That's just, my mind immediately goes to that. Oh, song choices. That's like song that, will be- that like 90s kids rap kind of song. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, but Dory Disney had a much bigger uh, catalogue of music to draw from for this one. Oh and, yeah. yeah. This is directed by Craig Gillespie. It is significantly the first uh, I think very big film release in American cinemas in quite some that a lot of people a lot of people have been able to get to. Godzilla vs Kong I think actually was one of the biggest, but now more cin- and that did very well. But now more cinemas are open. Yeah. I know it was the first premiere for a lot of film critics in over a year. Yeah, um, it is directed by Craig Gillespie, for, who who directed I Tonya and is brought over Paul Walter Hauser. Um, it is a, it is starring Emma Stone, Emma Thompson, Mark Strong, and Joel Fry. It is an origin story for Cruella de Vil that takes place pre the events of 101 Dalmatians. We're going to presume everyone listening has seen or and or read 101 Dalmatians. There is a book. It's not terrible. Very different to the movies, especially more different to this one. Wow, Disney have uh, Disney have decided that we're going to have our feminist moment. One of many. Disney's always deciding we're going to have a feminist moment. So even if we're making a movie about Cruella de Vil, it needs to become about like no, actually, she was a loving girl boss. So yeah. like, well, they did the same thing with Maleficent, right? Uh, and, and Maleficent and was they, a lot better than this. Yeah, uh, but, the, but that tied into that, again. That but was it's very. It's all about wicked-esque. humanizing. It's all about you know. Oh, it's all right. Our, our sociopaths slash psychopaths also have a heart. But this is very morally fraught. They don't actually yeah. clarify a position on dogs. To be clear, mm. which is very strange. They want to have it both ways. Yeah. Yeah, but, you never know whether she's joking or he's like, oh, I'm just joking. But that, that's the thing. That, okay, I've seen some people try and defend the discrepancy between the way that this film represents Cruella and the one we remember from the cartoons by saying that this isn't a movie about the Cruella from the cartoon. This is a movie about the real-life Cruella that the urban legend was based upon. Shades of the Buzz Lightyear tweet from Chris Evans <laughs> about the real-life Space Ranger that Buzz Lightyear was based God. upon. But... Uh, Buzz Aldrin? I, yeah. No. The, the film kind no. of leans in that direction. That is his real name. Yeah. No, his real name is Buzz Lightyear, and he's a real-life space ranger in the Toy Story universe, I'll have you know. But um, the film, in some ways, seems to lean towards that with, like, oh, I wouldn't really skin Dalmatians. People just want to think I'm bad. But then, at the end, it's clearly setting up its connections to the original 101 Dalmatians. Four sequels. Yeah, and presenting itself as a genuine prequel. So, the for me, this is the... Um, the more interesting meta component of the film to discuss than you know the actual contents of the well, film. Well, which is well, why tra- does this thing exist? What's it meant to be? It's it's, it's, it's an established a, IP which they can make some money off with established stars. Exactly, it's a mess of corporate obligation. So there's the one which is okay. People know the name Cruella, and the other is we can't make a movie with an, an unsympathetic protagonist. The kills so of the hundred dogs. Yeah, that's the thing. Why are you trying to make me um, you, you empathize with this person? Um, she's cartoonishly evil. Her name is Cruella Deville, right? This movie, uh, in a, a way, as dumb as they're like, "Oh, you're solo because you're traveling alone." Tries to explain her name, by the way. I, I mean, the part of it is they try to set up uh, her 
evil streak in terms of killing Dalmatians with relating it back to some traumatic event, which is also a very, very mm. loose thread. But then they go sense. back on that over they the do. course yeah, of the film. There are a bunch of very obvious twists, which are bad because, A, because they're, they're, you can see them coming about at least 20 minutes before they happen, if not more, but it takes out what is morally interesting about the film when the twists come about. On the subject of the film having it both ways, we've talked in the past about Disney's treatment of LGBT characters, um, certainly within the context of Rise of Skywalker and other films, this film is a character who is very clearly a part of the LGBT community, even though it's not explicitly stated. It's Disney's way of having it both ways. Seeing this characters and how they treated them reminded me of the first producer's film and how Roger Elizabeth Debris is treated when you knew what was going on, but it couldn't be explicitly stated because we didn't want to alienate the audience. And I feel Disney are still doing this in 2021. If this you want to ridiculous. talk about having it both ways, they uh, those scenes were actually shot twice for multiple markets. I, I Did, believe it. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not sure if they've, they've used alternate edits, but they've been shot that way. I'd like to see both. Yeah. I've seen, the, for the record, the Australian release. <laughs> yeah. Which would be the, the one for liberal progressive nations I and wonder the one what, for others. I'm curious what will... What, shame. But, wow. but, but yeah, the the corporate directive kind of angle <laughs> we're talking about. The got played as long, if, if it was the same actor, as long as the actor got paid twice. Yeah. <laughs> that, the, um, and that's not an excuse for it. There's a, an inherent appeal to a movie about Cruella, right? It's like, oh, you know, it's like Joker. We, we, uh, it's let's have some sympathy for the devil. Let's enjoy. Which is a song. Which yeah, is the needle drops are bad. A time of the season. Don't go through your whole catalog. Pick some songs from artists who aren't as mainstream and could get a leg up. For this God's actually, sake. this actually kind before. of in terms of song choices, it kind of felt like Suicide Squad. It kind yeah, of felt yeah, like, you know, the, the greatest hits. The greatest there are some hits. good ones. The Led Zeppelin covers are choice, yeah. excuse me, choices are good. Well, look, but they, there are too many of them as well. It's like every every uh, significant moment and every kind of, you know, well, look, needle drop is choreographed. You can song. also say it's like Guardians of the Galaxy if we're looking at Disney ticking off that, boxes. That integrated into the story. It did yeah. it much better. But, and, and the mixtape was much better. But going, yeah, back to what I was saying, it's sort of like there's an appeal in movie about Cruella, right? Like enjoy empathizing with the villain. So Disney want to reel you in with that, but they don't want to actually commit to what a movie about Cruella would be like. So they spend so much time trying to show us that she's not really bad, but she is actually pretty bad. Yes. She's a, she's selfish. She's pretty terrible with some of the things she does, but the approach of the movie is um, she's not that bad because here's a woman who's even worse. And Emma Thompson is good. They're she all is great. They're all good. At so this. much ta- like good talent thrown behind. Yeah. Well, th- this isn't my thing about the movie. It, when it, um, it's fundamentally trash, as in the foundations upon which it is built are trash. I mean, the, what they've built on top of that is very good. But how good can it be? I mean, technically, what this film does is basically uh, we just now think that Emma Thompson's character is the original Cruella de Vil. And at the end, she sort yeah. of says, now I will become, e-, not quite yeah, the end, but yeah. I will become Cruella, but I'm still going to be a nice, I don't know. Yeah. And um, this, and this fashion, it's said in the fashion world, we've, look, it's really rough. I've seen this, these arcs play out so much better in obviously the Devil Wears Prada. I was caused to think of a All about f- Eve? All about Eve. I was caused to think of a simple favor, the scene with the Tom Ford, mm. uh, uh, riff, and I thought that actually handled it better than this. Some of the visuals in, in here, though I'm sure they were period appropriate, feel like they've been lifted straight from Phantom Thread as well. Yeah, there was some, the fashion is gorgeous the to look fantastic. at. It's stunning. That's the thing. Technically, and in terms of what everyone's bringing to it's, it. And the production design, the yeah. sets are stunning. Set, yeah. the, the art department, the production design, like those guys deserve props. Ha, 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 ha. Yeah. <laughs> and they have, they have those already. They have, they have great props. But yeah, it, it's... Um, directed 
as far as it can possibly be. Like over the top production design, great campy performances, music everywhere. This visual style of the direction wore me down after a bit. Coming away from I, Tonya, though I, I liked the movie, I had a bit of the sense of like, this is, you know, over the top Scorsese style all the time, but, you know, not doing it as well. And in this one, that flying forward camera movie uses in Raging Bull and then uses a lot in Casino, you see being used for basically every shot and the many, many montages in this movie. And oh, after yeah. a while, it just wore me down. Because Scorsese yeah. made it work because he usually did that going in on a, a moment of high intensity. But this is like, oh, here's some shoes. Camera flies in. Oh, here's a dog. Camera flies in. Oh, here's Emma Stone. Camera flies in. All right. All right. Enough. Yeah, I liked it when we saw it for the first time and establishing the base operations for the mm. three main people. Otherwise, it just got tired. I mean, uh, the other problem is the wigs. I mean, how bad are the wigs for Emma Stone? Wigs are fine. Emma, Emma, not Emma Stone. Emma Stone. She was. I thought she was. I thought. I thought the wigs and um, the costume design and that all that element was fine. But turning to that, something that annoyed me about this film. Actually, I'll, I'll, I'll do, give a good and bad. I like that this film captures a moment. It's not exactly what it's said. It's like early sixties London. Yeah, it captures a moment of. The high fashion scene, something that is treated with great nostalgia currently, but also the rise of the punk movement and how they conflicted. I enjoy that. It's a part of history I find fascinating. I love punk rock. However, it's just Disneyfied. It's, it's just Disneyfied punk rock. This is not. The, please do not watch this film and think these are what punk rockers are like. Most films get it wrong. Disney are not of the type to get it right. Here's Gorilla. She's Vivian Westwood. Yeah, that you know. No. Um, you're not Debbie Harry, you're not Joan Jett. But the, the thing about, I mean, this movie is also, there's a strange not, tension no, in it. You're not, um, yeah, Chrissy Amphlett, it's not happening. Yeah, there's a strange tension in it because um, it sort of almost presents itself as being a little bit more mature, but the plotting is so kind of like cartoonishly, um, I don't know, like there's something very Tim Burton-esque around the direction and combined with the Charles Dickeny tone, you can point to, um, in, in terms of some of the style, something like his Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, right? But in comparison, that firmly establishes itself as being in a cartoon world, whereas this is trying to be a little bit more of like a stylized take on the real world, but then the plotting is straight cartoonish. Like where yeah. did, does Cruella and her henchmen get the technology to pull off all these scams and that some of the talking animal shenanigans, I just don't think they've nailed the tone down to make this work. No. The, the one thing I did like, though, talking about the henchmen, I think giving them the back... They were actually more believable in their kind of motivations and their humanity than anyone else. So in that sense, mm. I think, given that they were still playing henchmen, per mm. se, yeah. uh, they had more personality than I was expecting. So in that sense, it was a surprise for me. There were no Hugh Laurie and... I'm sorry, the guy who played Arthur Weasley, but they were they were great. Mm. Um, what, what Having said that, I liked the balance they got any time they used the iconography of a garbage or garbage truck in order to have Corella and the team aspire to what they were doing. We're excluding one particularly outstanding set piece, which involves a garbage truck and a runway. Just brilliant. And any like that kind of that, that, that nailed the tone for both the punk scene and its opposition to the fashion, the, 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 those kind of stylings and the fashion movement of the sixties right. and else. And that was a very nice was, touch. It right. was very varied. Yeah. Um, in general, though, I found the action not to be that well-directed. Like, there's so much camera flying around stuff, but then when it gets to these intricate um, choreographed sequence, I lost my bearings a bit visually. It feels like nothing... It, it feels like there's no stakes. Like, nothing can happen. No one's really going to get hurt. It's all going to be okay. And if they do, it's going to be in a saturated way with no blood. Mm. There is one... There actually is one point in this film where you see a tiny bit of blood because someone is uh, pricked, and it's like, oh... 
this is odd. I should mm-hmm. I should be right. seeing a lot more of this. And I see, you know, Mark Strong, he is always put in these relatively thankless roles where because he's a good actor, he has settled the exposition and you're just to be able to sell this to this audience. And he just, he, he's great, mm. but uh, he is uh, just probably the one of the more underwritten roles here that needed to be more fleshed out. I mean, as I'm saying all this stuff, I can hear the obvious criticism, which is true, which is, you know, it's not for you, but like also... It's for no one. That's what I was going to get to. It's for no one. There's it attention be about me. I read Hunter on Animations. I've seen the film so many times. I, as an adult, I'd like to see a new yeah. version of this. I can feel the tension in um, all the different ways that this film could be pulled, and it's trying to have it always and be the four quadrants release, but I wish it would just commit to being one thing. Yeah. I, like, you know, if you're going to do an evil Cruella, you know, backstory, make her evil. It's not I, that hard. It would have, I mean, and the, the, if the, you want to humanize her, humanize her completely. The issue you know? is. I, I got, I got, it's an on the head. Yeah. The issue is it's a Disney movie. You know, they're afraid to have you a movie that makes you empathize with the villain by making them a, a main character. And um, that, it, that kind of thing is just beyond what. Disney is doing these days in terms of sophistication. Um, they, at, yeah. Same with the camera work. I, I wish they just point something at natural light. There's just way too much CGI in this. It's not I necessary. Thought so too. Yeah, there, there's a lot of Mansion, fake guys in a quiet place too. I found it refreshing how much of it was clearly there. There's one moment that's obviously green screened where, um, in that film of okay, we didn't want to take a camera on top of a watchtower with a child. That's dangerous. But the rest of the time, it, it all looks real, and cool. you can compare it to this. Man, it's it's just so fake looking. Maybe they need to get Chloe Zhao to get some real uh, natural, you know, marble natural, light. Match, natural marble light. Whoa. Oh my god, that's a real waterfall right there, guys! It's yeah. real. There were no waterfalls in this one. Critics, uh, don't, don't don't worry. It's yeah. uh, it, it, that's not there. So that is a quiet place too. And Corella, they are both in cinemas now. Um, the German Film Festival is in full swing. Uh, we'll be back next week. Um, stay tuned for Sonic Assassin. Let us know what you want us to fight about. It can be an actor. It can be a film. It can be... Um, if you have an issue of one of our reviews this week, let us know. If you want to tell us that we're dicks, let us know. If you yeah. want to tell us that we're saints, yeah. God bless you, let us know. <laughs> we're the nicest guys around in R- cinema. Right, right, the nice guys. Nice guys. Take that, uh, Ryan Gosling. So, so nice guys. Glenn Falcons, then Chris Evans, and Rutley Rue out. Have a wonderful night. Enjoy movies. Good night. <laughs>